It's a good song. I remember the original arrangement of that song as a hymn. How many of you remember it? Yeah, nobody really. I'm the, and the reason I remember it is because I cut teeth. I didn't really have anybody to teach me the Bible, and so I cut teeth. I listened to two teachers as a young young believer, and one was J. Vernon McGee through the Bible bus. Remember? Yeah, we're on the Bible bus today, and we're going to take another. Who knows, who knows that guy? Remember? It's gone to be with the Lord. Yeah, he was just a great teacher, just verse by verse by verse. And some people think that this is about, and he would explain it, and always did a great job. And his theme song was, How Firm a Foundation. Now you remember? Yeah, that's how that song goes. The other one, in case you're wondering, was Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, and just couldn't get enough of those guys. On January 14, 1973, something happened. It brought an element of life to my life that I'm continuing to enjoy to this very day. It was in the evening of that day. Karen was nine months pregnant with our first son, Brian. Said she wasn't feeling well, and so hoping to entertain her, I took her in my arms and began to dance with her. Right there in the kitchen, I began to dance with her. Kind of slow. Now, I mean, you're getting the visual on this, right? I'm 6'4", and she's 4'11", and we got nine months of baby in between us, right? <laughs> Did you get that visual okay? <laughs> you have to dial back a long way. That long hair. <laughs> now you got it. Probably had my bell bottoms on, you know. You got it? Okay, now you're with me. Began to dance with her, kind of slow at first, then picking up the pace faster and faster, because mind you, there was no music playing. I remember as we got faster, kind of lifting her as we went around in circles. And she was smiling, but I think it was about on the third hard landing that she said, Tom, it's time. I said, time for what? She said, we need to go to the hospital and have a baby. So I helped her into our 64 Barracuda Fastback. We loved that car. Oh, my gosh. And called the 318 four-barrel to life. Kabloom. And I seized the opportunity to drive illegal. Illegally, the fast 23 miles it was to the hospital. Now, driving this way was very much against the urgings of my laboring wife, who said something like she wanted to go to the hospital to have a baby, not to die from a terrible car wreck. After assuring her that I had the car under complete control, I pinned the speedometer on US 27 South between Clare and Mount Pleasant. After all, I reasoned, when else would I have a reasonable defense for driving like this? since this was probably the only child we were ever going to have. <laughs> Took us four more to figure out what caused it, you know. <laughs> Number of hours later, I don't remember exactly how many, but the wait for me was grueling compared to whatever it was Karen was doing in the delivery room. But a number of hours later, the doctor came out and looked at me and said, Congratulations, Mr. Pocket, it's a boy. 
that boy turned out to be one of the finest people it has ever been my privilege to know. That boy has grown up to be a better human being than we ever knew how to raise. That boy grew up to be a man and a husband and a father with four children of his own. That boy and his wife are right now back in one of our children's ministry classes teaching little ones about the love of Jesus Christ as they have faithfully done for many years. And my point in sharing that story is to say that on a given day in history, something happened that has had a continuing action of meaning and joy in my life and to the lives of others every day since. And that turned out to be the beginning of something that has continued on as a blessing to me and now as a blessing to another generation behind him. Now please refer back to the passage we read earlier from Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not in a barracuda, but on the back of the foal of a donkey, he marked the beginning of something that has brought life to billions of people ever since. And he was responding to the Father's word, Son, it's time. And Jesus set into motion a series of events that resulted in the eternal life of so many and the eternal life that you are enjoying today. This was the beginning. This ride in Jerusalem was the beginning. Think of it this way. was the beginning of the resurrection. It was the beginning of the resurrection. I think many times we see the events of Holy Week as completely separate from one another. Important, related, but as though there's a comma between each one. It begins on this day, Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey during the high festival of Passover. And because some people cut palm branches from the trees nearby and laid them in front of him as he rode to honor him, the church has called it forever since Palm Sunday. And next, but not separate from that, or but separate from that, Jesus goes into the temple and he clears it of its of its money changers. These people were extorting the poor. These people, listen, were extorting the poor. These people had, these pilgrims had come to Jerusalem from far away and needed to buy the doves and the lambs they needed to make the sacrifice. For some, it would be a once-in-a-lifetime trip They were poor. There was no way to transport this stuff to bring it with them. They had to buy it there. And these guys in the temple were converting currency and selling the items necessary for sacrifice at criminal prices and were opportunistically extorting the poor. Next, Jesus withers a fig tree, gives amazing parables, guts the Pharisees with his seven woes, and tells people they must always be prepared for his sudden return. Next, Jesus takes the opportunity of the Passover meal he is eating with his disciples to institute something that we call the Lord's Supper that we as Christians have been celebrating, including us, for more than 2,000 years. Next, 
He immediately manages to get himself arrested, unfairly tried, condemned by the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the Supreme Court of the Jews, who persuade the Romans that he posed a, a threat to stability of the region and that they should crucify him. Next, Jesus is brutally beaten and mercilessly flogged. He is then laid on a plank where spikes are driven through his hands and he is lifted up on a pole where spikes then pierce his feet as they're nailed together to the pole. Next, Jesus has some loving exchange with some of the women who had dared to be present and with the criminals who were being crucified on the Via Dolorosa until he eventually breathes his last and he died. Next, somehow separate, Joseph of Arimathea just shows up and gets permission to lay Jesus in a tomb of his where a large rock is put on around its opening and sealed and guarded by Roman centurions. But then something happens. Something happens on Sunday. Spoiler alert for next Sunday. Something happens. A rumor begins virally circulating that the tomb is empty and that Jesus has been spotted alive. There was talk of angels and bright lights and paralyzed soldiers. There was talk that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and that it turns out he is exactly who he said he was, the Son of God, come to save the world. These events are not separate. This is one event. I think we can miss something if we fail to see the continuity of what Jesus started on Palm Sunday. Somehow the crowd knew it. The crowd cried, Hosanna! This word, Hosanna, means, Lord, save us! It means it's an exclamation of praise, but it's also a Lord, you're the only one who can save us. And so somehow they were prompted by the sovereignty of God to cry, Hosanna, here is the one who can save us. And as he was riding into Jerusalem, they were praising him for the cross. So there were no commas. It was one continuous action that resulted in the resurrection and in a very important way, I think we, should, we would benefit by comparing the events that began on Palm Sunday with the births of our sons and daughters. As fathers, when, when she looked at you or said to you, it's time, that started something that hasn't stopped. That put into motion something that would continue to impact you forever. We have a whole week ahead of us here. More Churches more organized than us, okay, every other church, likes to call this Holy Week. You know, as you move through Holy Week this week, try not to breathe. Commas are breath marks. There are no commas in the events, 
It is one continuous action. It's time started a series of events that culminated in something that was almost, it's almost excruciatingly inhumane, this birth process. And yet it results in something amazing that impacts you for the rest of your life. And there are no commas. So I just, I'm just praying for the church that you can experience this week as one continuous action because I think there's power in that. That it's not like, okay, we got our palms waved on Palm Sunday. I'll come back on Friday and do the loop. And then I'll come back on Sunday and do the ooh, ooh, resurrection. Oh, we're going to have a ooh, ooh, resurrection party. We'll do that. But just don't leave the presence of the Lord this week and just walk through it that way. Is that engaging for some of you? Also, I I think it's worth noting in this passage that Jesus so much knew what was going to happen. He so knew what would happen next. I mean, he he was telling his disciples, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And he knew it. And he would talk about this, and his disciples would become so upset with him. Like, we can protect you. We've got this. So to Peter, his commander-in-chief, he had to say, Get thee behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus knew what was going to happen next. He knew every bit of it. And he did it anyway. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why did he do it knowing what was going to happen? It's because you're on the other side of the cross. You're on the other side of the cross. Your eternal life is on the other side of the cross. And Jesus did that for you. I think the fact that Peter's denial of Christ is included in this week is is a huge part of the message of this week. Between the triumphal entry and the resurrection, the one Jesus set apart to be the rock And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. That that guy completely failed Jesus. He disowned him. He said, never heard of him. I am not a part of him. And I think that's a significant part of this continuous action, is this denial. Because it says something to us, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus not only knew that Peter would do this, before he he made him the rock of the church, he told Peter he was going to do it. This was not a surprise to Jesus. This is not something he had to work into the program. This is part of the fabric of the week, is that the pillar of the church would completely fail Jesus. 
spoiler alert, past the resurrection, and yet in failing him, would be completely restored by the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. What a message. We live in this kind of almost unbearable tension, don't we, between the righteousness of God and the recurring episodes of our own sin. I mean, to me, that is sometimes unbearable. On the one hand, you read Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount who said, Be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I want that, don't you? I want that. And yet the evidence of my life is so not that. And so we live, beloved, in this tension, don't we? Between the righteousness of God and our desire to reflect that righteousness in everything we think, say, and do, and the reality of the recurring episodes of sin in our lives. So inserted in this tension is Peter, the rock of the church, the pillar upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And then he completely disowns him. So that in completely disowning him, he was somehow not outside of the sovereign will of God, that the gates of hell were not prevailing against him, even in that. Why? Because after the cross, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, oh. God, you know I love you. I mean, the thought was in his mind, but he's like, do I, do I dare say it again after yet another failure? Do I dare answer him yes? I mean, what if he comes back and says, it doesn't seem like you love me. It doesn't seem like. That's not what he said. Do you love me? Yes. I love you, Lord. And feed my sheep. Let's get back to it. Jesus went to the cross this week to atone for our failures, not to ensure our successes. I don't ever want to presume on the grace of God, and I know that you don't either. I don't ever want to become disingenuous in my faith, rationalizing my sin, saying, it's okay, Jesus has me covered. I don't ever want to stop running hard toward the mark of righteousness. But today I am more grateful than ever that when I miss the mark, there is an eternal well of forgiveness for me. I had a week this week of consistent failure. If anything was consistent about this week, it was my failure. But I have good news. I have good news for myself, is that even in the midst of my failure, because I am genuine in my faith, in my repentance, my confession, I am forgiven. But I have even better news than that. 
is that this message is not about me. <laughs> but it's about Jesus and his desire to offer you the same. This week should be a week, I think, in the word of God and the spirit of God like no other. Let's not mistake our, our lack of religion here. By that, you know what I mean, empty religion. Our, our disorganization. Let's not mistake that for, or use that as a, a way of missing the opportunity that's in front of us in Holy Week. This week we benefit from the organization of other churches. This week we truly, listen, benefit from churches that maybe we would have a hard time thriving in because they're so diligent in their pursuit of the observance of the important parts of this week that that sets a spiritual climate in the world. And I think we should breathe in that air. So this week, I just want to invite you to see this as the recognition and participation of one continuous action. And uh, see this week as our response to the Father's words to Jesus, that it's time. And maybe to ask yourself, what's, what time is it in your life? I mean, we're living out this continuous action that benefits the life of this continuous action of when we came to Christ, yes? We're living that out. We cannot even begin to imagine difficulties that we have, notwithstanding. We cannot even begin to imagine what our lives would be like if Christ were not in it. What's, what's at the beginning of for you? What is the Lord wanting to begin in your life that will continue? Not to have an episode, not to have a, even a defining moment, but to start something, a birth process that will live on forever. For some of you, it's uh, you know something God has been calling you to, a ministry perhaps, or some responsive obedience God is calling you to, and by responding to that, you're hearing him say, it's time, it's time to do that, it's time to stop thinking about that, it's time to stop rationalizing that, and it's time. For others of you, it may be, it's time to come to Christ. You've heard the claims of the gospel of Jesus on your life. You've looked around. You've seen that we're honest. We're not perfect people. You sense that some of this is true. Something about this is true for you and that it's time for you to step into relationship with Jesus. That will carry you for all eternity. And for some of you, it may just be time to say, God... My life is so bad right now that I just want to cry out to you and say, would you begin something new and fresh and life-giving for me? I think only you know what, what time it is. I believe God wants to birth something in each of us today that will have that same kind of continuous power reaction. Father, we... We're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the power of your word, for the veracity of your word, just that we can have every confidence, Lord, that it is true. 
And so we bow before you, Lord, as kind of a strange mixture of humans. We each have a, you know, admittedly unique perspective because there's only one of us here. And so uh, as we come together and blend our, our thoughts and our faith together with you, Lord, we, we pray for that unifying power of the Holy Spirit to come and to make us one voice to you, one response. And Lord, whatever part of the voice needs to repent and turn to you and receive this, this just unmeasured forgiveness, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and will bring that to pass. And I pray, Father, for those who are just saying, this is so hard. It shouldn't be this hard. What have I done wrong? I just pray that you'll come and you'll give them the light of hope of the beginning of something that goes on forever. Something good. Pray for those who are at that kind of tipping point of relationship with you and just um, deciding that they understand enough of it to say yes to you. I pray for them, Lord. I pray that this church will always be a church that is soft and pliable in your hands, Lord, and I don't think you've called us to become very much more organized than we are. You've called us to be responsive and um, childlike. We rejoice in that. So, Father, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for Josh and his bandmates here and their ministry to us. And just now we deliver these few minutes into your hands and ask you to do what you want to do in ways that you want to do it. And we thank you for coming. We thank you for coming, Lord. We thank you for riding that donkey into Jerusalem. We thank you for what that started. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for beating Satan and rising for us. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for being here after you rose. We thank you for ascending to the Father. We thank you for interceding for our sins with your blood that continues to speak a better word than the blood of Abel. We thank you, God, that you are here among us by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you, you mean business with us today. And so we invite you to come, Lord, because we believe that it's true, that it's all true. We believe that it's all true. And so we invite you to come now in the power of your Holy Spirit and be true among us, dear God. Heal our sick. Father God, deliver our are addicted. Come and be powerful among us. Change the brain chemistry of the manic depressive. Come, Lord. Be powerful among us. Come and give coronary arteries a break, Lord, so that they can flow with blood and bring life to hearts that want to serve you, Lord God. Come and reverse cancers in the name of Jesus. Come and heal wounds in the name of Jesus. Let them be miraculously, supernaturally healed right here, right now in this room. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and do what you want to do in the way that you want to do it. Church, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. I'd like to invite some prayer ministry people to come. And be ready to pray for whoever may come. And you can come to these people for any reason. Whatever it is that is going on in your life, they would love, 
love the opportunity to pray with you. If you are one of these people that says, I'd like to come to Christ, you could come to them. They'll know what to do. We're just going to sing for a few minutes and give you opportunity to respond to God in your heart, either from where you are or up here. And it's the vineyard. You're always free, even individually, if you'd just like to come and bow before the Lord. Whatever is meaningful in your heart, a meaningful response to the Word of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit today. I invite you to do that.